Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello, and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me as usual is my good friend, my colleague and compatriot, and the man who turned down the job as the backup drummer for you two for their Las Vegas shows, the one and only Ken Hellenius. <laughs> Ken, how you doing, my friend? I am well, thank you, thank you. Uh, you know, I want to say the reason, main reason I turned that down is that I don't want to live in Las Vegas because it's too hot. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about the controversy about that, though? No. You know that, uh, yeah, so you two evidently signed an agreement to do, I, I guess, a month of shows in Las Vegas. But their drummer, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mullins, I think his name yeah, is. Yeah, one Larry of Mullins. Larry Mullins is, the, I guess, one of the founders of the group, um, has some kind of injury that requires surgery. And, and, uh, and so instead of postponing it, they, they're going to get another drummer to fill in. And there's like controversy, like, wait a minute, how could you have the band without the drummer? <laughs> you know, right, that makes no right. sense. So there's yeah. there's a little bit of controversy, and so that the so therefore they called you to fill in, you know to <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah. And uh, again, if it wasn't so warm in Las Vegas, and let's face it, it's tough for me to move past the buffet when I when I enter a casino. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think of you too, and I think of course of, uh, I mean, the Joshua Tree came out right in the right in the heart of when I was like, you know, 12 or 13. I mean, and it's such an iconic album. And I have friends who travel around the world to go see U2 concerts. They've been to Australia. They've been to, you know, various places in Europe and things like that. I like U2, but I don't know that I, I necessarily would travel to go see them. But, you know, if they're playing locally, I might, I might go. If they came to Notre Dame Stadium, I definitely would go. That's for sure. Well, the, you know, they, they were huge when I was uh, in school at, at ND, you know, like uh, Under Blood Red Sky and all those songs. Of sure, I Will sure. Follow. And all, I mean, those, yeah, yeah. those were very, very popular songs there on, on campus during uh, my years at ND in the 80s, in the early 80s. So the, the closest yeah. I get to being an, uh, a U2 fanboy is by wearing sunglasses indoors on occasion. <laughs> Uh, how awesome is that <laughs> well hey friend uh so here we are you know the end of july we've uh, uh summer believe it or not i mean school starts in just a few weeks again that's how fast time flies we must be having fun as they say right as the frog says <laughs> yeah, right. time's fun when you're having flies you know so yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Um, now uh, I know. Uh, has, has your travel schedule re reinstated pretty much fully now? Yeah, yeah. So uh, end of July. So obviously, I just got back from uh, speaking tour, uh, Oceania speaking tour. So uh, um, New Zealand, and then uh, Papua New Guinea, and then Australia. Mm -hmm. uh, where I was there for the last uh, boy, three weeks uh, and then off to uh, Steubenville to speak at the Defending the Faith Conference and to do Pints with Aquinas and to record a uh, catechetical series uh, with uh, for Scott Hahn at the 
St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. So very busy July for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, how about you getting ready for Gary Renner Center to Re- start up? Uh, ready, uh, ready. Not for Gary I'm thinking UP. <laughs> <laughs> the New Nicholas Center for Ethics and Culture. Yeah, we are yeah. ready for, uh, you know, our students to, to come back. Um, uh, when we ended the last academic year, we had 450 of our Soren Fellows, which are the undergraduate and graduate students affiliated with the DeNicola Center. We sent about 80 of them on various uh, internships and pilgrimages and uh, research kind of opportunities this summer that uh, we were able to, to help fund uh, through the generosity of our donors. And so, um, so yeah, so we're welcome. We're looking forward to having everybody welcome back. And uh, we're going to, uh, uh, we'll be talking about the awesome research that they've done and things like that throughout the summer. Uh, once the school year starts, it's a whirlwind, right? Especially the fall semester is is, is very busy because everybody's excited to be back. And, and uh, we have our fall conference coming up in November. We're going to talk about personhood. Uh, and so, yeah, just all sorts of of delightful things on the horizon um plus you know every week we have mass and we have uh, first friday masses with our students so lots of opportunities for for uh interaction for development for um for formation really and so uh it's an exciting time of year yeah and summer was relaxing for us i i don't travel anywhere near as much as you of course and so um so it's been a nice chance to uh to uh get a little recharge as we head into the uh, the beginning of the academic year. Two more weeks and the students will be back and and uh, then school starts like the week after that. So it's it's uh, getting close. All right. Fantastic. Well, Deacon, for the last few weeks, we've been chatting about fathers and doctors. Last week, we had a fantastic discussion and introduction to St. John Chrysostom. And uh, this week, you're going to introduce us to another father and doctor, a, um, uh, somebody who shares a name with uh, another that we've already learned about. So who are we meeting tonight? Well, tonight we're going to talk about St. Cyril of Alexandria who's an Egyptian bishop and theologian and is best known for his role at the Council of Ephesus uh, in 431. We'll talk about that uh, here shortly. And in the Eastern Church, his feast day is celebrated on June 9th. Okay. Uh, and for us in the West, his feast day is celebrated on June 27th, which is the day of his, day of his death. So we don't know a ton about Cyril Alexandria prior to him becoming bishop. We know that he was born somewhere between 370 and 380 AD. And based on his writings, we know that he was very well educated in uh, literary works and also in, in theology. And there's some evidence, again, based on his writings, that he may have spent some time as a monk before becoming a bishop. And so uh, he had a very popular uncle, Patriarch Theophilus of Alexandria, who was the bishop. And then upon his uncle's death in 412, Cyril was chosen to succeed him as the head of the church there uh, in uh, what well, the Egyptian church, um, the church in, in Alexandria. And uh, a couple of years later, he was a little bit shrouded in, in uh, controversy because his reputation as a theologian and later a doctor of the church for defending the faith. 
And he was trying to find uh, follow his uncle's lead by bringing unity because there were some tensions within the churches there. Because remember, there were five different main sees uh, at that time. So there was uh, Alexandria, Antioch, Constantinople, Rome, and there was Jerusalem. Right? So those were the five C's. And sometimes there were tensions between some of these C's. Some of the tension came from the fact on the emphasis of Christ. So, for example, Constantinople kind of adopted this kind of uh, school of Antioch, which, which they call the Christology from below. So in other words, they emphasized hum the humanity of Christ. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that, because, for example, there was the uh, Ebionite heresy that said that Christ was fully divine and not really human. You say, well, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> he's, he's fully God and fully man. You can't, you can't deny Christ's humanity. So the fact that there was this, this kind of school of Christology of the school, the school of understanding Christ that emphasizes humanity, not a bad thing. Meanwhile, in Alexandria, where Cyril was, there was a Christology from above that emphasized the uh, the divinity of Christ. Mm -hmm. Again, not a bad thing, right? But the problem was there was tensions between the two because some um, thinkers within those schools said it was either or, not both and. Okay, so I say that to lay a foundation for um, what Cyril of Alexandria be became most famous for, uh, defending the doctrine on Mary as the mother of God. So what happened was in, in 428, a monk named Nestorius became the patriarch of Constantinople. Now, Nestorius was from the school of Antioch that emphasized the humanity of Christ. Okay, again, not a bad thing. Right. The the problem is, is that when thinking of Christ in terms of his relationship to the Blessed Mother, to Mary, Nestorius said that Mary was not the mother of God, but the mother of Christ. So you may be listening, thinking, wait a minute, um, Jesus is Christ. I mean, God, right. what's the big deal? Okay. So Nestorius was thinking no human being could give birth to God, right? So he set up a duality of persons within God, right? So he, he, what he's saying was that Mary gave birth to the Christ, to the, remember Christos or Meshiach in Hebrew means the anointed one. She gave birth to his human person, not to his divine person. So he set up this duality of persons. But the problem is this. Christ has two natures, a human nature and a divine nature. But his personhood, he doesn't have a his person is not human. He's not a human person. His person comes from the fact he's the second person of the Trinity. You see, that's where his personhood comes from. Remember, he shares it with he, he shares that one nature with the father who's a person the Son, who's a person, and the Holy Spirit, who's a person. One God, three persons, one divine nature. And what happened was, in the incarnation, when the word, uh, that second person of the Trinity became incarnate in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the divine nature was joined to a human nature. But his personhood 
comes to the fact he he has always existed as a second person of the Trinity. Unlike us, where our personhood as human beings comes from the fact at the moment of our conception, you know, where we have a full and complete human nature with a body and soul, that constitutes our personhood as human beings. But Christ is also God. Right. See, so he has the two natures. It's, I mean, it sounds a little bit confused. I hope I'm explaining it well so people can follow what I'm saying. But this this was something that caused a big rift and a big division within the church. I mean, I don't think Nestorius was deliberately trying to cause to cause a controversy, to cause a schism. But again, his thinking was, how could a human being, as awesome as Mary was, how could she give birth to God? Mm-hmm. How could a human, I mean, so you can see he's trying to understand and rationalize how this all worked. But the problem in, in doing that, he set up this kind of, um, duality uh, within God. And so Cyril of Alexandria had to step in and say, well, first of all, he tried to correct him through a series of letters, you know, uh, trying to to lay out the argument for him. That wasn't effective. And then it was starting to cause a schism because people were kind of dividing between Astorius and Cyril. Uh, And so he appealed to Rome, uh, to the Bishop of Rome. And then finally, he convened a council the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD, in which he presided over the council. And so during that council, they had some, in fact, it even, it even almost got physical. You know what I mean? Oh some, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it, this was, this was so, uh, there was such passion and, and fervor around this issue that almost came to blows, you know, uh, o- over these things. So the story is interesting enough insisted that he held the traditional view of who Christ was in relationship to the, to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Although he refused to acknowledge Mary as the mother of God, which has always been understood in the, in the tradition of the church. Uh, so uh, Cyril Alexandria had two things he wanted to do. He wanted to, first of all, settle the controversy and to restore unity within the church. That was very, very important to him. That um, that there not be division uh, within the church. So he wrote uh, in his in one of his letters. He wrote to the stories. He was saying uh, he was reminding him, "Hey, look, remember what Jesus says that uh, even if you cause scandal to these little ones, you know it's better you put a millstone around your neck and throw it into the <laughs> into the ocean rather than to corrupt one of these little ones." So he was reminding him, "Hey, hey, you know, be careful here. You're leading people astray." And Christ warns us about this. Um, and so during the council, uh, here, here's what uh, Cyril Alexandria uh, articulated. He said that we affirm that the natures are different, that are united in one true unity. So again, the uh, divine nature of Christ, which has always existed before, you know, before the beginning, right? Before the beginning uh, there of was time, not, there even, was yeah. never. There was never a time where God never existed. So he's always existed. That divine nature was joined to a human nature at the incarnation. So he says, we affirm that the the natures are different, divine and human, that are united in one true unity, which we, which the catechism calls the hypostatic union. So there's a joining of the human and divine natures without any confusion, change, separation, or division within the natures. 
He said, but from both has come only one Christ and son. Okay. Not two. Right. Remember in the story saying he, she gave birth to the, the, the uh, human person of Christ, but not to the divine person of, of, of Christ. That's what the story was saying. And Cyril said, no, he, she gave, remember, because people, mothers give birth to persons, right? Right. So, so she gave birth to the person of Christ, the second person, Trinity. therefore she's the mother of God. That was his, that was his argument. And so in the end, um, people uh, went, uh, agreed with uh, Cyril of Alexandria and his explanation. Um, and uh, eventually Nestorius uh, was condemned and he was uh, excommunicated and exiled. He was stripped of his bishopric. And um, uh, Cyril was also able to restore unity with the Antiochian school and restore unity uh, in, the, in the church again. That was very, very important to him. And, and he died uh, in 444 uh, AD on, uh, on June 27th. So, um, uh, so that's kind of a, a short uh, synopsis of, uh, of the controversy and why he was so important in life of the church. Yeah. So um, thank you very much for that. I, I realize I didn't know much about Cyril of Alexandria at all prior to this. I, I, of course, the Nestorian heresy uh, doesn't actually ever really go away, right? This remains still kind of a uh, understanding the idea between the two natures and the one person of Christ. The two, as you say, the two natures that are not mixed, are not confused, are not, one is not subsumed into the other. They are full, full natures, which is vital to us as humans, because that which is not assumed is not redeemed, right? So Christ being fully human, like us in all things but sin, as uh, St. Paul says, is vitally important because that's how Christ redeems us. Christ is the perfect human who alone can, uh, can um, uh, you know, suffer at, at Calvary, at, at Golgotha, without any sin of his own, which is why his, his suffering is efficacious for us, because we ourselves are admixed we bring our own we would have brought our own sin to the uh, to the cross and it would have been just whereas it is truly unjust for christ who is without any sin as a human to uh to have suffered and so that's what makes his sacrifice perfect um i just read a fantastic book by the way on uh on salvation and it was a, a wonderful book it was called salvation what every catholic should know and it kind of explores the various uh the various uh kind of theories of salvation uh, uh which is called soteriology is the is the technical mm -hmm. uh, uh, uh theological term for uh, uh theories of salvation how salvation works and there are all sorts of different approaches and the Catholic Church really takes a very holistic view. I mean, you'll hear some say, you know, that salvation is Christ paid the price for us and and it's purely a judicial thing and and the church takes actually a very broad view uh that uh, that encompasses a lot of uh, different uh, understandings because Christ uh, Christ's salvation is uh, is for the whole world. It's not just for us either, right? So, but that's kind of getting off the point, I guess. Which is which is really the other side to Ephesus 
is the Council of Ephesus in 431 is a watershed moment for the church because, you know, something that we've often repeated here and that we, we say, uh, not just on Living Stones, but we say as, as Catholics is that everything we say about Mary is actually a statement about Jesus Christ. And so all of the honor that we give to Mary is in virtue of the actions and the reality and the full meaning of her son, Jesus Christ himself. And so when we say that Mary is the mother of God, that is a reflection on who Christ is, not it is also a reflection on Mary, but much as, I think the church even uses this image, it's much as what we say of the light of the moon is actually a reflection of the sun itself. The sun, in this case, being spelled both S-O-N and S-U-N. So to say Mary is the mother of God, which is, of course, a vitally important and an oft-repeated title, especially in the Eastern Orthodox and our Eastern Catholic churches, they use the title Theotokos, which means Mother of God, not Christokos, which means Mother of Christ, because she's the mother of the person Jesus Christ. As you said, mothers give birth to persons, not to natures. The nature is part of who the person is, but it's not the full meaning of the of who the person is. The person is, in this case, Jesus Christ, always existed. The person of, of, of uh, the Savior, the second divine person. But his human nature was created at the moment of his con conception in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So it's really a fascinating thing. But as I mentioned too, this question doesn't go away because even now, you will hear, I've heard my Protestant brothers and sisters say, well, how can Mary really be the mother of God? She really just gave birth to his body. And so this this heresy has not gone away. It's, it is difficult to wrap our minds around. And I mean, you, even as you were explaining, you know, it's, it's kind of tough to understand the difference between a nature and a person and so this is something that we continue to, to need to study and try to understand ourselves. But we can also understand by actually acknowledging the doctrine, the dogma itself, and then asking and seeking the Lord, asking him to enlighten our hearts as to the full understanding of it. This is faith seeking understanding as, uh, as the great St. Anselm once wrote, you know, that's what we need to do is to, is to believe in order that we might understand. Yeah. And this is why the church in, in some instances incorporates the language of philosophy to try to understand like, what is a person? What, is a being what is a nature you know yeah and so we brought uh, the boethian definition uh uh which is an individual substance or just a being of a rational nature you know so that makes sense because we were created by two human beings right a mother and a father mm -hmm. uh, two rational natures and um and we and our our uh our person is brought about by the union of those two Right. And, but, but for Jesus, his personhood existed etern in the er in eternal indwelling of the Trinity, the, relate the, the, um, 
circumcision of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, so the fact that he became uh, incarnate in the womb of Virgin Mary didn't take on another person. He took on a nature, a human nature, not a human person, because he was already a person, right? So, right, right. And, and so to me, yeah, once you think about it and dwell and ponder it, it makes sense. So I, we should have no problem saying she's the mother of God. But I think some people get confused that she is somehow giving birth to the uh, to like divinity God itself. could not exist if he didn't give birth to her or something like that. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, which is not what we're saying, you know. Um, but I, again, I think the story is trying to just make sense out of the whole thing. But um, but we're grateful to Cyril of Alexandria um, uh, for clearly articulating this. And and, and you're right, because this is something of the Second Vatican Council, the, the last paragraphs, like paragraph 60 through 62 of Lumen Gentium, uh, the church's document on, on the uh, on the church, you know, talks about Mary uh, specifically and specifically Mary as the mother of God. And so, again, there was some controversy around that uh, as well, uh, you know, reemphasizing the constant teaching of the church and tradition about Mary's relationship to, to Christ. Yeah, and this actually also the uh, kind of Nestorianism, much like Arianism, didn't just go away uh, after the after the council kind of settled the question. Uh, and it was Nestorian Christianity that uh, made its way into the Arabian Peninsula and was uh, present uh, when, um, you know, in the late uh, 6th and early 7th century when uh, uh, the when Muhammad was was uh trying to understand what he was, uh, kind of his own religious experience. And so it was a faulty understanding of Christianity that actually makes its way into the, uh, into the, the Quran as well, because it's not a full understanding of what, of what Christianity truly teaches and what we understand about the nature of Christ himself. Um, so there's, uh, this, this heresy actually has worldwide import uh, that remains to this day too. Wow. Yep. So, you know, we're, again, we're grateful to these wonderful fathers and doctors of the church for straightening us out. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Deacon, we've come to the end of our time together. Uh, however, we will pick up our conversation and meet yet another fantastic doctor when we gather next week. In the meantime, we ask you to connect with us or we invite you to connect with us on uh, Facebook. We're at Living Stones Media. You can also download previous episodes of the show at Mater Dei Radio. Com. But Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing? But Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.